This is the murderer you know. Hi there. How are things? Things you probably are don't lovely. Know that song. <laughs> Did you even realize I was doing a song? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope my acoustics sound okay. To me, it sounds a little weird in here. Well, you're kind of, your voice is bubbling. Bubbling? Bubbling. Well, warping, I guess is the better way to put it. Weird. I'm in a non-carpeted room for the first time. (laughs) About to put a blanket on the floor or something. I thought you were going to say non-carbonated room. I'm in a non-carbonated room. That wouldn't (laughs) explain the bubbling. I'm in a carbonated room. (laughs) it would you're right you're right okay so so episode 43 oh my god (laughs) and in honor of earth day oh right i thought we would are we going to talk about i don't know turtles wouldn't that be nice it would no but i mean it might be a stretch but to me it felt the first Earth Day was in 1970. Did you know that? No, I did not. But I, or maybe I did. But you know, in 1970, I was in high school. Well, don't talk Earth- too much about 1970 yet, because I have a year question for you in just oh, a minute. Oh, okay. So we are going to talk about a crime today that was committed in 1969. So really close to 1970. Very true. It happened like six months before the first Earth Day ever. And of course, the trial and those sorts of things were continuing into 1970. So pretty close. We're going to be kicking it super old school. I think other than our nine great grandma's case, this is probably (laughs) the oldest case that we've covered. Really? Wow. I think so. I know we did some stuff in the 90s and 80s, but I don't know if we went all the way back to 1969 yet. You could, you could be right. So mom. Yes. Tell us what it was like. (laughs) You were just about to say in 1970, you were in high school. So rewind. Oh, I was. (laughs) Still in high school. I was still in high school. (laughs) Well, things were changing because sort of the hippie influence and the music was changing and Girls were going from wearing, I don't want to say designer, but well-known brand clothing and loafers to wearing jeans and tie-dye. A whole new world was dawning. It was the dawning of the age of Aquarius. Boom. And so things things were changing. I can't sing. (laughs) It was the dawning of the age of Aquarius. (laughs) I don't, I'm not as familiar with that one. <laughs> what? I know. That's a classic. That's I a know. Classic. The war in Vietnam was still going on and people were worked up about that. But at the same time, I think people had this feeling that they could make a difference and change the world. Thus Earth Day. Yes, yes, Mm -hmm. exactly. I remember we were told when you went to a store and you bought something that was packaged, like a a mascara stick, let's say, and it was on a cardboard backing with a plastic top that after you paid for it, you should rip all the, the packaging off and throw it on the counter of the store and in great disgust. I'm yeah, disgusted. Then- <laughs> I'm taking that shit to the CEO's house. Y'all send me your mascara stick boxes. I'll package them on up. Okay. Well, I guess people were so naive, they just thought that stores would be so appalled by being inundated with plastic wrappers that they would demand companies stop putting their stuff in plastic wrappers. I don't think it ever happened. But I still think there was a very optimistic feel in the air. Well, that's nice. Yes. Well, I did some some research since I wasn't there, and here are some highlights I could find. Oh. year of 1969 let's see let's if you see remember if, any of yeah, these. <laughs> one that i thought was very fascinating was grace slick you know her i do 
from Jefferson Airplane. Right. That was at the time it was Jefferson Airplane. They were one of the hottest bands. Love Jefferson Airplane. She said the F word on TV for the first (gasps) time ever when performing We Can Be Together and opting not (laughs) to censor it. So I don't know. I think still most people don't say the F word on TV. I don't think it's allowed. And that's funny because slipped through um, the cracks much, much earlier in probably 1966, the Rolling Stones first big hit was let's spend the night together, Mm -hmm. which was, oh my God, they didn't say the F word. Scandalous. Scandalous. And they were going to appear on the Ed Sullivan show, which was this kind of variety show. You know, if you got on the Ed Sullivan show, you had arrived and they were told they had to change the words to let's spend some time together (laughs) i can't remember now if they that's amazing if they gave in and did it or if they said no mate we ain't doing that (laughs) (laughs) so okay so yes no i don't remember her saying the f word well this has you remember grace slick This historic F-bomb drop occurred just one day after my 16-year-old dad climbed a fence, slept in the mud under a car, and sang his little heart out at one of the (laughs) biggest music events the world has ever seen. You know what that was, Mom? Woodstock, yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Even in my remote spot of the world, we heard of Woodstock. Also in 1969, Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, and Michael Collins went to the moon. Yes. Very amazing. I saw it on live on television. We were all agog. I bet. It was pretty cool. Pretty amazing. I mean, who ever thought that man would set foot on the moon? Not me. Me neither. The Girl Scouts sued a contraceptive company after that company released (laughs) an ad with a pregnant Girl Scout lookalike and the tagline, be prepared. They lost, though. (laughs) Which is, of course, the Boy Scouts creed. So they were probably dissing the Boy Scouts and the Girl Scouts. How rude. I, I have a very, very vague recollection of that, but I don't think... Maybe I don't really. I mean, you were 16, so. Yeah, but what magazine would it have been in? I don't know. I don't even know yeah, if it was so... a magazine or a billboard or what it was. I thought yeah. I had the impression it was a billboard. Oh. Here's something I'm sure you remember. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid was the number one movie in the box office that year. If, if you have not seen that movie. I haven't. Yes, and I I told you to watch Bonnie and Clyde, and you listened to me, and you did. You have got to watch Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, one of the best movies ever made. True Grit also came out that year, which I have seen. Well, did you see the original with John Wayne? Because they remade it. I saw the original and the remake. The remake was very good. Yes, I I loved that movie, too. In 1969, people still read books and something (gasps) called, what a concept, (laughs) something called Portnoy's Complaint by Philip Roth was the best-selling book in the U.S. (laughs) that year. Never heard of it. Philip Roth was one of those, you know, hot authors. I do not believe I ever read Portnoy's Complaint, Hmm. I must confess. It might have been too adult for me at 16. I don't know. It's true. Though I was reading The Herod Experience with your aunt, which was a rather naughty book. Oh, naughty. Naughty, but not graphic detail. Just naughty. (laughs) You said jeans and tie-dye were popular, but I read that mini dresses and patterned tights were very in in 1969. yes, yes. Sugar Sugar by the Archies was the Billboard number one song of the year. It was the best. Sugar Sugar. (laughs) (laughs) You are my candy girl and I can't stop loving you. Well, that was all of our fun. The fun ends here and now everything gets sad. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Also in 1969, you already mentioned the Vietnam War. Yes. The U.S. pulled their first round of soldiers out of Vietnam. 
It was over 30,000 soldiers. And there was also a reduction in draft calls. And a lot of really young men were coming back home to the U.S. and they were very ill-prepared to reintegrate into normal society. They weren't given, in a lot of cases, the tools that they needed to successfully integrate back home. And some of them struggled to adjust. Okay. And our story today is going to center around one such person, a 22-year-old army soldier who came home from Vietnam in 1968. Hmm. This army soldier was born in 1946, and he grew up big in his local church. In 11th grade, he dropped out of school and joined the army. Hmm. During his time in the military, he was stationed in South Carolina, Fort Eustis, Vietnam, and Kentucky. He got married in 1966, and he and his wife had one daughter who was born at Fort Eustis before he was deployed to Vietnam from 1967 to 1968 when he returned to the U.S. and went to Fort Knox. God, he was only 19 when he got married. Baby. Yeah. Now, prior to his time in Vietnam, he was described as an exemplary soldier with no disciplinary problems. But when he returned to the U.S., he began experiencing readjustment problems and his life started spiraling out of control. Well, part of the issue with that was everybody was calling Vietnam veterans baby killers and all these. Mm -hmm. They were not given ticker tape parades. They were treated like the scum of the earth when they came back, which you go off to fight for your country and you come back and people are spitting on you. That's awful. Yeah, it was pretty awful. Goodness. Well, because of mouthing off and threatening a supervisor, he first spent three months in the stockades. Mm. He later spent another three months in the stockades after a similar event with a non-commissioned officer. Mm. During this second incarceration, he and four other inmates tried to steal a narcotic opioid painkiller called Darvin from the Darvon. pharmacy. Darvon. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm not hip to be cool. Yeah, it was very popular at the time. <laughs> Apparently, yes, it was heavily used. I actually don't think, based on like the quick Google, even to find out what it was, that it even exists anymore. Probably not. Because it was so heavily used recreationally. Yeah, quaaludes also, which I think were a horse tranquilizer, were very popular. <laughs> they probably don't make those anymore either. <laughs> Well, the bad news was for these kids that they got caught. Oh. And after this event, he was transferred to a different stockade where a lieutenant came to speak with him. This event, I don't know. It's like to me, but y'all were going to keep him though after he was stealing Darvon. Because this is what ultimately, let me just go into the event. This lieutenant came to speak with him and the soldier, he was really anxious and he was talking in a very animated fashion. He was using his hands a lot. The lieutenant told him to stand at attention and stop moving around so much. But the longer they talked, the more nervous the soldier became, which caused him to use his hands in a more exaggerated fashion. And he told the officer... I can't stop. He was then court-martialed for disobeying oh my a direct. Yeah. So this is this brings me back to my. <laughs> but y'all were gonna keep him when he stole Darvon, but now he's being court-martialed for speaking in an animated fashion with his hands. So uh, he was court-martialed for disobeying a direct order, and he received an undesirable discharge from the army in July 1969. Ooh, bad. Kind of hard to get a job if you get a discharge like that. He managed. Okay. So shortly after this discharge, he and his wife moved home to Virginia to live with her family. The former soldier himself later admitted that he was struggling during this time in his life. Mm -hmm. His personal relationships with his wife, his mom, and his sister had become very difficult. What he saw in Vietnam had also caused him to question his faith, which he had always been so strong in. And he started reading a lot about Islam, which really, really bummed his mom out. Mm. And he felt that he had been changed by the war and by the things that he saw. 
In spite of the troubled state he was in, he did get two jobs after returning home, one at a manufacturer, which made file cabinets, desks, and bookcases, where he worked during the day, and one at a very fancy hotel and spa where he worked in the kitchen at night. Working hard. Yeah, he must have been very busy. And this is where we find him, living with his in-laws, working two jobs, and not really feeling like himself on October 1st, 1969. Mm. Now, as for the woman who he allegedly interacted with on this day, as much as I want to because I do think it is important and you know we normally do, I can't give you guys any information about her because her identity has actually been sealed. Oh, wow. Yeah, and it was redacted from court documents... I mean, we'll have little sprinklings about her. You know, she was a wife, she was a mom, a homeowner throughout the story, but there really isn't much. Hmm. Even the public at the time, no one knew her name. It was kept out of the press. It was redacted from documents. Well, I'm dying to find out what happened to her. All right. Well, we're going to find out. Maybe. It's hard to say. We weren't there. I never feel sure. (laughs) The former soldier spent the morning with his brother-in-law and his wife's cousin. The guys shared a fifth of whiskey. That's just, I I looked it up for you guys. That's about 16 shots. So around five shots each. Nothing compared to the 50 drinks of last two weeks ago. No, last week, I think. But in any event... I do not think, I still don't believe that. That guy should have been in a coma or dead. Nobody can drink I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) These guys also took some LSD. So it was super casual. Oh my God. Okay. Five shots of whiskey and LSD. Sounds like a good time. (laughs) It's the age of Aquarius. Is that the right right. use of the term? (laughs) Well, the age of Aquarius really has something to do with the alignment of LSD. the stars. Stars, no, LSD. No. no. <laughs> when the moon is in the seventh house and Jupiter Best lies... Best time to take LSD. <laughs> okay, moving on. Just before 2 p.m., the cousin dropped the two young men off at his cousin-in-law's dad's house. So that's confusing, but remember, <laughs> remember... This young soldier who just moved back to Virginia with his wife, they are living with her mom, her brother, her sister, but they moved home to the town where they were both from. They met in high school. His dad and his siblings also live in this town, although they do not live with his family. And they both have a wide variety of cousins popping in Mm. and out so this cousin took his cousin and his cousin's husband to his cousin's husband's (laughs) dad's house the soldier's (laughs) dad's house it's it's just too it's getting worse (laughs) it it sounds like one of those you know incestuous family trees where (laughs) everybody's a cousin or or half brother or something i wrote in my notes he took the young men to his cousin-in-law's dad's house (laughs) then i said is that a real familial relation cousin-in-law i don't know like let's say your cousin gets married is their husband your cousin-in-law and if they have a brother and sister, are their brother and sister your cousin-in-laws? Talk about incestuous. <laughs> I just don't know. Well, okay. He So he ended up at his he father's house? He is at his dad's house okay. with his brother-in-law. Okay. That's what's happening. Got now, it. I want to interject here that this house where his dad lived with his younger siblings and where he grew up, Happened to be across the street from a home belonging to a young family. A mom, a dad, and two little boys who were two and four. This house where the young family lived with the two little boys was on a very large property, which included a field in the front, which was sort of used by a lot of people who lived in the neighborhood. Kids would play out there. People would exercise out there. And the homeowners, they were cool with it. It was a thing that had always been done and... It was just kind of a, you know, a neighborhood understanding. 
Right. On the property, they had a fence and a gate, which was around a smaller portion of their yard. And that was the space that they sort of used privately to play with their kids and otherwise spend time outside. The young woman, the mother of the two little boys who lived in the house, had allegedly interacted with the young soldier who grew up across the street twice since he had moved back home. But she did not she didn't grow up with him. I mean, they weren't like friends. No, they had just moved into the house around six years before. Okay, right. And he had been gone some of that time. Yeah, I mean, she actually said that before he returned from Vietnam, she never really met him. But it made sense to me, right? Because if she and her husband moved in six years before, he would have only been 16. He dropped out a year later, and then he basically left. Right. So, you know, it made sense to me that she hadn't really crossed paths with him before, but she did know his family. He lived across the street the whole time that she and her husband had been there, and they were neighborly, essentially. Okay. So she recalled that she interacted with this young former soldier once in August when he called to introduce himself and say that he lived across the road. He said he was looking for odd jobs and he asked if she needed any yard work done, which she said she didn't. Well, she had a husband. Yes. Okay. The second interaction took place in September sometime. She said she was outside watching her son play and she saw a man jogging around the front field. Remember, normal people worked out out there. No big deal. During his jog, he stopped at her fence and asked again if she needed any work done. She had never seen him or met him in person before this and he did not identify himself as the young man who grew up across the street but she said she recognized his voice from the phone call a couple of months earlier he did not mention the phone call he never said his name they didn't talk about any of that this is important to the story should i I pin it on the wall And the wall is getting full. (laughs) It is. It is. (laughs) She did, however, ask about his sister by name. And he didn't say, that's not my sister. What are you talking about? So maybe it was him or maybe he was just being polite. But they then talked about the weather. They, They were just having small talk. And after a couple minutes, he asked if he could join her in the yard, to which she agreed. He apparently jumped over the fence and sat on a lawn chair with her. He smoked a cigarette and they continued chatting. He mentioned Vietnam. She asked him if he had been in a combat position. Just little things like that. After about 15 minutes, she told him she needed to go cook dinner and he left when she got up to go inside. She described the interaction as friendly, polite, and said that nothing improper occurred. Mm. So we're back to October 1st now. Sorry, I just wanted to flash back to those little occurrences. So he and his brother-in-law, remember, they're hanging out at his dad's. Right. After they were dropped off, they played some records in the basement, and later they went outside to lift some weights. Uh Uh-huh. During the time they were listening to records, his younger brother-in-law heard him on the phone with someone. This kid said he really had no sense of time. I don't know if it was the five shots or the LSD, but (laughs) he couldn't be sure when the phone call happened. He had absolutely no idea who he was talking to, but he did hear him say something like, I have talked to you before about a problem. So it it didn't sound like a super chill conversation. Hmm. A little later, the two men went across the street to the field so that the former soldier could run some laps. This guy, by the way, was in, apparently by all accounts, fantastic shape. And both weightlifting and running were regular parts of his exercise routine. He's out there keeping in shape. After he ran three or four laps, his brother-in-law stopped him to say he was going to the high school to see a girl that he liked. He started to walk, but then around 3.15 or 3.30, he saw a bus driver who he knew was going to the high school. So he started to kind of jog a little bit and flag the bus down for a ride. Hmm. His brother-in-law, the former soldier, in a blue sweatshirt and green work pants, similar to army fatigues, went back to running around the field. His jogging had just become a thing around then, too. It was trendy. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, nobody ever thought putting on shoes hmm. and just running. And this guy wrote a book about it. And God, even your grandmother took up I'm jogging. sorry, what? You're telling me that people are out here in these streets just because one random person wrote a book <laughs> about it saying that it would be a good idea? Well, it became a thing, you know? Oh, and then everybody, my. And that guy who wrote the book, who invented jogging or, or popularized it, he actually dropped out of a heart attack while jogging. This was that's, fairly see, recently. It was a bad idea. Yeah, that's it made me happy. I never took up jogging. <laughs> so he's jogging around this field in his green fatigue pants. Yes. Now, when his wife's brother arrived at the high school, the principal gave him an earful for riding a high school bus since he was a dropout and <laughs> was no longer attending the high school. The bus of the girl he wanted to meet came from another school to this high school where the young dropout was waiting for her. Now, listen, this guy, he must have really liked this girl because she I, she arrived at he did all of this. She arrived at 3.40 and then had to be on the next bus, which would then finally take her home by 3.45. So they got to talk for five minutes. And then she got on her second bus and took her happy ass home. And he got on a bus that went in the direction of his home so that he wouldn't have to walk, even though he lived pretty close to the high school. He got back on, on a school bus, even though the principal... Even though the principal... She wasn't super a, a very big fan. <laughs> okay. When he got off of this bus near his home, he agreed to carry another young woman's books since she lived three houses down from him. He went to her house with her. They watched TV together for about 20 minutes, and then they shot a couple of baskets in her yard before he walked home where he arrived around 4.30. Mm -hmm. So it's been an hour since he left his brother-in-law jogging. Uh, yeah. Give or take. Since the LSC <laughs> didn't know exactly what time any of this occurred. But we do know that her school bus arrived at 3.30 or 3.40. At 3.45, then he rode home. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, sounds like about an hour or so. When he got home, he saw that his brother-in-law was there washing up and getting ready for work. And I know I already said it was 1969, but it took me, it still took me a little by surprise to read that this family didn't have indoor plumbing. And this young man was washing up for work in a basin of water that had to be drawn outside and then heated up inside the house. I still think probably in rural areas. Mm-hmm. You know, they're probably in 1969, there were places that still hadn't reached that point. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't find any statistics on 1969 specifically, but I did read that in 1940, only 55% of homes had complete indoor plumbing, which is what 99.9% wow. .9 of homes had in the last census I could find from 2010. So that would be hot water heater, flushing toilets, all of that, showers. But by the mid-20th century, indoor plumbing was becoming a fixture in more and more homes. That's really when it picked up. Well, yeah, after, you know, after World War II and all the veterans came home, there was a big housing boom. And so they probably were putting more indoor plumbing and the complete package in houses. But older homes, yeah, probably not. And it was probably much more expensive to kind of have it retrofitted. Mm-hmm. So he was cleaning up for work mm -hmm. and he already had his dark work pants on, but no shirt. The two started chatting while the older man continued to get ready for work. Mm -hmm. The younger man couldn't remember exactly what they talked about during this time, but he did remember his brother-in-law saying, quote, I messed up during the course of the conversation. And like a man, sorry, men, no offense. Just a generalization here. He didn't know what his brother-in-law was talking about, and he did not ask. Of he course. just, oh, you messed up? You're sad? Cool. <laughs> that's the best they can come up with. I messed up. You know, that's a lot to wrap really your mind. Own. You don't know what happened. He might have <laughs> tripped and messed up his army fatigues while <laughs> jogging for an hour. Right, right. Okay, so he messed up, and his... 
cousin-in-law, brother-in-law, half-brother, step-brother. <laughs> Uncle then says, oh, okay, good to know. Talk to you later. Yep. So another cousin, not the one that they did LSD with earlier in the day, <laughs> who actually happened to work with the former army soldier at that fancy hotel, yeah. he came to pick both of the men up because all three of them actually had to go to work. Uh-huh. The younger man, he worked at a hospital. So they dropped him off around 515 or 520. And then they both continued to the hotel to work their shifts there. Uh-huh. So just to recap before we move on, Okay. That leaves our 22-year-old former army soldier, super fit brother-in-law alone with no alibi for about an hour. Not a huge amount of time. Nope. Was he running laps the whole time? Can you imagine, by the way, running on LSD? Is that even a thing? (laughs) I just... You're asking the wrong person. I can't imagine running... In, in in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> I just think that sounds awful. Yes, I agree. But we'll come back to Mr. Workout Enthusiast, who apparently doesn't even miss a workout for an LSD trip after five shots. <laughs> wow. Right now, we are going to spend some time talking about another family who lived in the neighborhood. Okay. At 4.55 p.m., a woman had been trying to get in touch with her sister-in-law with no luck. Hmm. This is a separate sister-in-law, nothing to do with all the cousins and (laughs) brothers-in-laws that we've discussed so far. does it have to do with the woman who lives across the street in the big field? Maybe. (laughs) Okay. So a woman's trying to get in touch with her sister-in-law. And she actually happened to live right next door. So she decided she would walk over and see if maybe her sister-in-law left the phone off the hook or, you know, something was wrong with the kids or whatever. Right. Once again, before cell phones, you only had a phone on the wall or on your desk and easy to leave it off the hook. When she entered the home, she found the phone hanging from the wall with wires ripped from the wall and the receiver broken in two. Damn. Those things were like heavy plastic or something. I mean, I can't even imagine what force you would have to use to break a phone in half. Would have needed someone really strong to break that tank of a phone. Yes. Yes. That's my point. significantly more concerning she also found her sister-in-law on the living room floor in a pool of blood and still Mm. bleeding very heavily oh my god her sister-in-law was weak and couldn't move or get up but she could talk although very very quietly after exchanging a few words now Remember, this woman's name has never been shared publicly, and I actually liked the court documents I read referred to her as Mrs. B, and so that's what I'm going to call her. Now, just a quick aside here. When the sister-in-law called, she was also concerned about the children. Where are the children? Am I jumping ahead? Yeah. Ooh, ooh, I don't like that. We'll see. Mrs. B. All right. Now, after exchanging a few words, Mrs. B, her sister-in-law grabbed her a rag and then left to call their husbands and a rescue squad from a neighbor's phone. Now, since this has come up before, by the way, I looked up when 911 was invented and it was actually invented in 1968. So it was very new when this occurred. but, But let's think about it. Probably in this rural place where people don't even have running water. I doubt they had 911. Well, and apparently, and I don't know what this means because, yeah, because I don't. Apparently, it was only available within the service area for American Telephone and Telegraph. Is it like Verizon and that's like they cover the entire country or what? In the old days, there was one phone company, AT&T, and they owned all the phones and they did a great job. Is this AT&T now? Did they turn into a cell phone company? 
Well, that's what's left of them. But they used to be the, the everything, the phone company. And then somebody filed a lawsuit saying they had a monopoly, mm-hmm. which they did. They mm-hmm. did. Mm-hmm. But I mean, phone rates were low and the phones worked. Everything was great. Mm. So they broke AT&T up. And since then, phone rates have gone up. They ruined everything. Gone down. They did. They ruined <laughs> everything. They should have just let AT&T run the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> what a different world it might be now. That is true. So it's so probably maybe. a pretty big service area then, it sounds like. Yes, like the entire country. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I mean, considering, like you said, how early days this was for the 911 game, I feel like it's still pretty likely that this woman had to dial a seven-digit number to reach right. the local emergency services, which is what right. everyone had to do before this idea of 911 came out. Right. After making the phone call, Mrs. B's sister-in-law returned to wait for the rescue squad and asked her sister-in-law where the kids were. Mm-hmm. Okay, trigger warning from literally the basement of the depths of hell. The sister-in-law went first to the two-year-old's room, which was actually off the living room in the very front of the house. She grabbed the two-year-old from his crib. He was completely fine, totally unharmed, took him outside to be with her children and just be out of the house and distracted and having fun. Next, she went to the back bedroom to check on the four-year-old. She saw her four-year-old nephew lying on his bed face down. She could immediately tell that he was very, very seriously hurt. She did not move him. She did not touch him. She didn't disturb the scene in any way. And she decided to return to the living room to be with her sister-in-law. Shortly after this, her husband arrived, followed by Mrs. B's husband, and then immediately followed by the rescue squad who had been dispatched at 5.05, arriving around 5.15 or 5.20. Okay, not bad. No, I was was very impressed by that. The two volunteer rescue squad members entered the house. One stayed with the young mom, while the other went to the back bedroom to check on the four-year-old. The squad member working with the mom found her still lying on her stomach in her robe and nightgown. He couldn't immediately see any blood on her back, But there was a lot of blood coming from somewhere. And it was critical for him to figure out where that blood was coming from. In the bedroom, it was immediately determined that the four-year-old had no signs of life, Mm. which is awful. Yes, terrible. So this squad member returned to the living room when his partner called him for an assist. The two decided they needed to turn the young mom over so they could figure out where all this blood was coming from. When they turned her over, a knife flapped up in their faces because it was still stuck inside her body, Mm. in her side. Now, these rescue squad members were trained not to remove foreign objects. So instead, they tried to apply bandages around the wound without removing the knife, which proved pretty quickly to be very unsuccessful because they couldn't put enough pressure on the wound because then they were like pressing a knife into her to actually stop Mm. the blood. Right. So plan B was to remove the knife in order to stop the bleeding. One man cut a square of fabric from her nightgown around the area of the knife, while the other removed the square of fabric and the handle list. The the blade, by the way, did not have a handle. I don't think I said that before. It was just a blade. Yeah. I think it had been damaged in the course of whatever took place. Yeah, sounds like. So the other removed the square of fabric and the handleless blade, which allowed them to apply enough pressure to the wound. But still, (laughs) it looked pretty grim for Mrs. B, who was weak, mumbling, and the rescue squad members thought likely bleeding out. Well, yeah, I mean, she's been laying there bleeding for how long is it now? 5.30? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so she's been laying there for, I don't know. 30 minutes, an hour? At least an hour. At least At least more because he was home. He was for sure home. I I mean, I don't know who did this. We don't know. (laughs) We literally don't don't know. know. We don't know. But if it was the young soldier, soldier he was for sure home by 4.30. So it's been more than an hour. 
Okay. The rescue team went outside to grab a stretcher and to let the hospital know that they had an emergent patient on the way. They had to move the coffee table and rug to place the woman safely onto the stretcher. And when they moved the coffee table, a pair of women's underwear came into view that had been under the coffee table. Mm. One EMT used his boot to push them carefully to the edge of the couch in an attempt not to tamper with any potential evidence. Right. They then carried Mrs. B to the ambulance where she rode to the local hospital with her husband. Several people did stay behind in the house, including her sister-in-law, who had been the first on the scene, her brother-in-law, a doctor, a reverend, and two deputies. At the hospital, Mrs. B was examined and operated on. She had stab wounds to the lower back, chest, and the right side of her upper abdomen. So it wasn't just one knife wound, it was multiple. Mm-hmm. Yes. Her chest and lung cavity showed no sign of internal bleeding. Her stomach cavity was full of blood, and she appeared to be bleeding out from a stab wound that had sliced all the way across her liver, where she was bleeding heavily from a cut vein. This cut also hit her spleen, which was also causing blood loss, although to a lesser extent. Uh Uh-huh. The doctor removed her spleen, closed her surgical incisions, and stitched up a wound in her back. He also noticed two major lacerations on the top of her head, so he cleaned and stitched those as well. This woman went through hell. She went through it, poor woman. Mm -hmm. When she was cleaned up, he called the gynecology department from the hospital to perform an exam. Meanwhile, back at her house, tragically, devastatingly, the four-year-old had been declared dead at 5.30 p.m. in the home he shared with his family. At six, the M.E. examined the baby boy, who had suffered a number of wounds, most significantly two stab wounds to the chest, either of which alone would have been fatal in one to five minutes. Hmm. But when the sister-in-law arrived, she thought the little boy was still alive. She said she couldn't tell if he was alive or not. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure she was in shock. I'm sure she was in denial. Yeah. I'm sure she didn't want to believe what she was seeing. Oh, no. I didn't want to go into all of the wounds that he sustained. Those were not the only wounds, but those were certainly the worst. I wonder. It just doesn't make any sense. Why would it stab that kid and left the other one unharmed? He obviously knew she had two children. I think that you that that part, whatever happened, I think that part will become a little bit more clear. Okay. Why just the four-year-old? Okay. By 7.30 p.m., the little boy's body was 33 degrees Celsius, as opposed to the typical 37 degrees Celsius, indicating his time of death was approximately two hours and 40 minutes to four hours before the examination was completed. Okay, so help us out with the time here. That would have meant he was killed between? This would have put his time of death between 3.30 and 4.50 p.m. Wow. And this estimation can be made because the human body typically cools by one to one and a half degrees each hour after death. Hmm. Okay. Also at the home, law enforcement were collecting evidence and taking statements. The first officer to arrive on scene first noticed a large quantity of blood and then spoke with Mrs. B's sister and brother-in-law. He then went to request backup and he also requested a lookout for... This part is not super clear to me, but it seems like... Mrs. B told her sister-in-law who she thought did this. Oh. Yes. So when she first came in and found her, she said it was. Yes. So this officer requested this first lookout for this man who apparently was believed to potentially be responsible for the attack. 
Okay. When the second officer arrived less than five minutes later, however, the lookout request was amended, naming another man as the suspect. Hmm. Pin this up, pin this up. We're going to come back to it. But everyone remember, we're going to come back to this. Just remember that there was some confusion about the identification of who had potentially perpetrated this crime. By the way, earlier I was going to pin something to my wall. Did you forget what it was? Yes. What was I pinning? Good job. We'll never talk about it again. That's on you. (laughs) Okay. So now I'm pinning (laughs) one person and now a second person. Got it. Got it. Pinned. I wonder what that first thing was. I'll probably wake up in the middle of the night. And and remember. Me too. Now, remember, he requested backup. So a second deputy then arrived on scene and he began taking notes and observing the scene as well. Mm-hmm. Between 6.30 and 6.45, pictures of the deceased child and his bed were taken. Picture of the hallway and the washer and dryer were also taken. All of these locations showed blood. Mm. In the living room, at the deputy's instructions, the photographer captured images of blood including on the end of the sofa on the carpet and splotches dripping down the wall behind the sofa Mm. he also took pictures of pieces of a knife handle so that explains where that went yeah must have shattered in the Mm -hmm. violence the knife blade which had still been in mrs b's side The piece of cloth cut from her nightgown, the busted telephone, an overturned lamp, a crushed paper cup, a broken ashtray under the sofa, a pair of ladies' underwear, a pipe, and a child's scarf. Hmm. In the kitchen, photos were taken of a partially open silverware drawer, the kitchen cabinets, and the sink. All evidence was then collected, bagged, and marked you didn't have to hang this one on the wall because we're we're back we're back to the men the lookout was announced for okay the first man there was there was a, a first man that they mm-hmm. were looking out for then they named a second man mm-hmm. to look out for yep so they, which one have they found we haven't found anybody yet oh okay okay we're just going to talk about them okay well yeah tell me who the first and the second man are Both of these men were known by the police, although it was not immediately clear why or even if it was for something bad. I think it was a small town. I think lots of people knew each other. Right, right. These people lived there for a while. I'm not implying that it was because they were horrible people or even because they did something at any point in time that was nefarious. I'm not sure. Nefarious. Ooh, I like that word. Yeah. The initial lookout. So that's the first one. There seems like there has to be a kind of a cop term, not lookout. There's, there's got to be something. It's a, it's a bolo. It's a bolo. But they didn't. Be on the lookout. Boy. They didn't call it that. No. So that made me wonder <laughs> if maybe that term didn't exist in 1969, <laughs> which is why I'm not using it. I'm trying to be authentic, okay? Oh, you're trying to be authentic to the time period. They called it a lookout, so that's what I'm calling it. To me, a lookout is like somebody up in the tree with their hands over their eyes saying, oh, I don't see anybody. (laughs) I don't get... Maybe they did go up in the tree and look for whoever the lookout was for. I don't know. It was I wasn't alive in 1969. I just think it's a very odd term, but that's okay. That's okay. You're going to have to take it up with the cops of 1969 <laughs> who hopefully uh, are all retired. God, yes. Hopefully. <laughs> okay. So tell us about that. Not that these people were known for their nefarious deeds, but it was a small town. So everybody kind of knew each other. The initial lookout was announced for the patriarch of the family who lived across the street from this young woman, her husband, and her two children. The patriarch, okay. The lookout, which was requested only five minutes later... Yes. ...is for Soldier Boy. ...was for his son, the 22-year-old former soldier. I 
wonder why the father was the first person mentioned. Interesting. Okay. But I mean, if his kid is 22, he's not that old. It's not like he's a, a 90-year-old grandpa. He could be in his 40s. That's true. He he also had kids still in high school. Yeah. So he could have been relatively young. Right. By 615, officers arrived at the hotel where the young man was working his shift. Mm-hmm. After being directed to the kitchen, they saw someone wearing a white work shirt and dark work trousers, and they asked him to identify himself, which he did. They told the young man, who was very cooperative, that he was wanted for questioning, and they read him his Miranda warning. He then followed them voluntarily to the police car. He appeared very calm. Hmm. There was nothing unusual about him, no scratches, no bruises no injuries at all that is that is pretty unusual together they drove to the young woman's driveway across the street from his dad's house they parked and talked to him as he sat in the back seat of the cruiser okay he was read his miranda rights again better to give him too many times than not enough the officers then asked him if he had been to the property where they were parked that day And he said he had not. Hmm. He was then taken to jail without further discussion. Well, we know that's a lie. We know he was jogging in circles. True. Okay. At the same time, shortly after six, a third deputy was instructed to go over to the home where the former soldier lived with his wife, her mother, and her brother and sister. Okay. Upon arrival, the deputy, who was being watched by (laughs) the young man's mother-in-law the entire time, went through clothes in several bedrooms of the home. He sorted through the clothes by hand. He did not wear gloves. He picked them up and he placed them all in a pillowcase together. Hmm. He took clothes from a hamper in the young man's closet and from a stack in another room. Well, it sounds like that this guy is just some deputy. He's not mm-hmm. he's not a detective. He's not yeah. an investigator. And they probably should have waited for a higher level person to show yeah. up to do this stuff. No one seemed to have any problem with the way that he collected the clothes. <laughs> None of the other. Well, remember, there was no DNA at the time. So you wonder, other than blood stains. Yeah, they I could know. type blood. They could type blood. Yeah, yeah. We'll see what they did. We're going to get into it. Oh, my God. (laughs) While this search was happening, his brother was also there, and he identified which clothes belonged to him and his brother-in-law. I should have said. I was about to say, wait a minute. Is this one of the six cousins twice removed? (laughs) His brother-in-law was there, and he identified which clothes belonged to him and which clothes belonged to the former soldier. Okay. The deputy acknowledged that in all locations where he found and took clothes, the clothes were in contact with other clothes that he may or may not have collected. They were in big piles, laundry piles, heaps on the floor. The deputy also confirmed that all the clothes were put into a pillowcase together, except for a couple of jackets, which he took and carried on their coat hangers. Hmm. Okay. After he collected what he felt necessary, he took the clothes to the police station where the first deputy who arrived at the scene of the crime examined them marked them for identification, and put them into individual plastic bags, which Uh were then sealed and turned over to the FBI for examination. Wow, the FBI was already involved? I mean, I don't know if this is being stated after the fact that they were eventually given to the FBI. You know what I mean? I don't think they were like, these are for the FBI, but that is where they went as the investigation evolved. Right. You would think at some point the state police would have been involved too. Actually, didn't see any mention of the state police. Interesting. Okay, so they're bagging up all of his clothes. And the following day, the deputy returned to the home where he lived with his wife and in-laws and retrieved a blue sweatshirt that his mother-in-law found in either her son or daughter's room. She wasn't sure. 
I don't know why she, there was no indication of why she wanted to give them this sweatshirt. I guess she was trying to be cooperative. Maybe Maybe she she saw him wearing it. I don't know. Yeah, maybe she thought, well, I'll, you know, this will prove him innocent. I don't know. Or maybe she didn't like him. Maybe. Her son, now this is the same son who spent that day with his brother-in-law, LSD, and doing shots. (laughs) Yeah. And the cousins were questioned by the police starting on May 1st after a school bus driver and that is the school bus driver who took this non-high school dropout to (laughs) the high school he's not a non-high school dropout he is a high school (laughs) dropout (laughs) i meant non-high school going dropout he told the police the bus driver Yes, that is that he saw and picked up this kid after seeing him running from the young family's driveway earlier that day, the day of the Mm. crime. The police told him that he was a suspect and that he would go to the penitentiary if he didn't cooperate. Well, it's good to give somebody an incentive. They took samples of his hair for the FBI lab. And he told them his brother-in-law was wearing his blue sweatshirt on October 1st, even though it had his name written inside. So Hmm. he's trying to distance himself (laughs) very quickly from all of this. Yeah, I think I would try to distance myself as well. All of the evidence mentioned, as well as the young mother's nightgown and robe, her son's pajamas, and the young former soldier's hair were submitted to the FBI and were examined for blood and fingerprints, as well as the characteristics of the hair and fibers collected. Uh Scrapings were collected from the clothes, which were mounted on sealed micro slides. Hmm. The hair samples were also mounted on micro slides and examined. All items were returned to the police by November 24th. Hmm. So what happened? How are you feeling? Do we have any idea what happened? I want to get your assessment. You want me to to make a pronouncement of what I think happened. And then in the second episode, you'd be like, wrong, wrong again. (laughs) Okay, this is my assessment. Okay, this guy I'm co- hanging on every word. I bet, I bet. This soldier boy has a bit of a screw loose, and for whatever reason, he gets fixated on the young mother. Mm. Calls her, tries to, you know, get a job over there. She's like, mm, no, don't need you. Goes over and hangs out, sits in the chair. They chat, and she's like, okay, this was fun. Got to go cook dinner. Goodbye. And then he's jogging in circles around her field, and... My guess is he goes like when you have a crush on someone, so you like walk past their classroom, like, hey, are you in there? So, you know, he's jogging and thinking she'll come out and say, oh my God, you're so hot. You're such an athlete. You You got a hot body. Yeah, you're like, you got a Maserati. And she never comes out. So he's like, okay. And he goes up and knocks on the door and says something to her. And she's like, you know, dude, I'm trying to give you the clue. I'm not interested. I'm married. I have two kids. You're a nice fellow. Leave me alone. And he, I don't know, goes ballistic. Uh. I still don't understand why he killed the kid unless the kid was awake and screaming you know Mm. leave my mommy alone or something Mm. i mean that seems like something a little kid might do why couldn't have just thrown him in a closet yeah i I just find it i mean a person raping and trying to murder or possibly murdering another grown person is certainly completely horrific but Mm -hmm. how somebody could stab a small child is just Mm. like beyond unfathomable yeah and thank god i guess the other little kid was asleep so that's my guess and then he did all this and i don't know he's like a split personality a schizophrenic maybe it's the drugs maybe it's his experience in vietnam and he just goes back home and cleans up and goes off to work like nothing happened 
That's my guess. Okay. So tomorrow or tomorrow? Tomorrow. So <laughs> so we have to wait a whole week. A whole week. A whole week. We're not going to gonna record tomorrow just to <laughs> yes. satisfy your curiosity, you lady. I want, I want to know. <laughs> yeah, okay. we still obviously have a lot to to cover. Yeah. I mean, we've just gotten hardly. Now they have arrested Soldier Boy, but do they have enough to hold him on or they just have... Do they know if they even have the right person? Right. Since... Is it just something maybe she was trying to say John tried to help her? But yeah, no, that's not that's not true, because if he had tried to help her, he would have run out and called the police. He wouldn't have just gone off to work. That's so why is she as well? Yeah. But why is she saying his name? Yeah, I don't know. Or... Well, remember that she first apparently said his father's name. Well, maybe she was trying to say that he lived over there or maybe. John from trying to kind of identify. I like how you've just given him the name John, just <laughs> completely out of left field. He's John now. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just an ordinary day. So this guy, she doesn't know really where he lives. She's just seen him at her neighbor's house. That's true. That's true. So she could say, you know, old dude next door just trying to identify where this person lives in her mind. Perhaps. And they think, oh my God, it's the guy next door. And then she says, John. <laughs> I think it was the phone call that was supposed to be pinned up on the wall. The Oh, the phone Do call. you think? Do you think that's what it was? Because remember, what brother-in-law heard him on the phone. Right. A arguing with her. Was that was, oh, that was earlier that same day. Yeah, that was right. earlier. And that he had same already, day. and he claims that, that he was claiming in this this angry conversation that, you know, he had called before. She knew him. You know, whatever. Yeah, something was going on. There's definitely still a lot to unpack. That that and the events of the rest of the day, according to Mrs. B, mm. because right now we sort of have an idea of what he was doing, what his brother-in-law was doing. But we don't know what happened inside that house. No. Or who she alleges was there with her. And I'm assuming she's probably in some kind of medically induced coma recovering from... That wasn't mentioned, Anya. actually. I mean, yeah, she certainly could have been. But it, it wasn't in the opinion that I read. No, but I mean, they're not pumping her for information at this point. Right. They probably, they think, well, we got the guy, we got him locked up. Let's get whatever forensic stuff we can wrap up. And then when mm -hmm. she's recovered somewhat. Yeah. There's a lot of other very interesting things to to get to. Yeah, she definitely okay. does. She test she testifies. It's very, it's very, 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 very interesting. It sounds interesting. The innocent, I have the, to say. The Innocence Project gets involved. Oh we my still have God. the trial to talk about. <laughs> There's it's a very, very interesting case. This sounds this sounds like a three-parter. We'll keep it at two, I think. Okay. Okay. So in the meantime, mom, do you have anything else to add under other than your brilliant assessment that we'll <laughs> all pin on our walls for a week from now so we can remember what you said? Well, we took care of one first person, second person. And I can't remember why I was putting that phone call on the wall. Maybe it wasn't that. No. It just suddenly came to me. Yeah. No. Well, Maybe then... it was the relationship of all the second cousins 12 times removed that I was, I was trying to do a family tree. <laughs> <laughs> well, you work on your family tree. Okay. And if the rest of you guys have questions, thoughts theories comments, comments. want to give us a review you can always do that wherever you're listening and you can always reach out we're on social media murderer you know podcast on facebook and instagram and you can email us murderer you know at gmail.com you can also head over to our website check out our merch check out our mailing merch. list which you can join so yeah. many things to do over the next week all right. everyone assignment come up with your theories yes slide those into our dms and also your family <laughs> tree we would love to see your hand-drawn family tree as well 
mom, make sure you get that to me. <laughs> okay. They're all going to be posted. <laughs> I hate to tell you, but this is not a visual show. So I'm not sure how we can put, oh, I guess we could put them on, on our, me. Excuse, on our social media <laughs> that I just mentioned. So. You're right. I'm, I'm, I'm doing mine with stick figures. Oh, I love it. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thanks everyone. Thanks for being here with us. Thanks okay. mom. And we will see you next time episode oh 44 we're so close to 52 <laughs> so close. can you guys we're believe so it and just wait for our 52nd episode it's gonna be mind-blowing and i'll blow your mind <laughs> okay good night bye oh bye oh